podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Pitch Side Podcast, a brand new Sports Gazette podcast where each week we'll take a deep dive into a different topic. This week we're looking at Surrey's fall from grace and return to the top of the county championship. I am your host Toby Reynolds and this week I'll be joined by Mark Church and Charlie Hodgson. Mark is the lead commentator down at Surrey. Originally he worked as a BBC correspondent and has since had almost 20 years experience and knows the club inside and out. Originally a player for Surrey, Charlie was the commercial director for almost 10 years before becoming managing director during the pandemic and interim CEO since. He now works for South Australia as their CEO. We'll get to Charlie in a minute. However, let's jump right in with Mark Church first, where we discuss the history of Surrey and how they managed to build up to the behemoth they are right now. Now, Mark, you started at Surrey in the early 2000s, right at their peak of dominance in the county championship. How good was that team at the turn of the century? Toby, they were an outstanding side. If you think about that side back then, there were international cricketers that couldn't get in the starting eleven because we're talking sort of the era, aren't we, of uh, Butcher, Thorpe, Stewart, Holly Oak, Ward, Bicknell, Tudor, Sacklane, Salisbury. You know, the, the, the names just roll off the tongue. So for, for me, sort of starting out, it was a, a fantastic team. I, I wasn't commentating when I first started out for the, the BBC and for Radio in general. Basically, they used to send me off to a game um, and I'd do updates into sort of news bulletins every half an hour. So it, it, it was great because you weren't really under that huge pressure of commentary, but you, you were watching that team do what they did. But they were an outstanding team. They really were. What was fascinating with that side was if they were all there, if they weren't all off playing international cricket, there were international cricketers that couldn't get in the 11, which was remarkable, really, when you think about it. Sort of personally, it was um, it was intimidating. Um, sort of having to interview the Butchers, the Thorpes, the Stewarts was intimidating. But it was also, you know, really good learning curve of, of sort of how to do a cricket interview and I'll be honest with you Toby I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you you know th- these were blokes I've been watching on the telly for, for years and years and years so it, it was a bit strange all of a sudden to be sort of stood in front of them with a microphone but as I say from my point of view it was a fantastic way to learn it really was and you know they were all really accommodating and they were all lovely fellas as well which was great and, and the other thing with that of course is you know the sides they were playing some of their overseas and some of their players as well were, were some of the, the greatest names in cricket. So, yeah, to get back to your first question there, they were an they, they were an unbelievable side. They really were. But like any great side, sort of, I think probably what happened was all those players came to an end at the same time. And then it was it was who was coming in to, to fill some, some enormous boots at, at that time when they all sort of retired at the same time, basically. Having won three championships in four years, the team slowly seemed to fade out. Ramprakash stayed on for a few years and was the highest run scorer in the county championship a couple times after that. But do you think there was something that Surrey could have done to try and minimise the loss when all those players retired at the same time? Yeah, I, th- I, I think what happened, and I remember it quite well, actually, was it, it, Steve Rickson came in as, as the head coach, brilliant head coach. 
and I felt a bit for him really because he, he had some great ideas and he had a way of, of wanting Surrey to play, but he he sort of inherited inherited that side who were, you know, let's be honest, getting to the end of their careers and they've been doing it under Keith Medicott for, for, for many, many years. And I think probably what happened really was there was just a period of rebuilding. Now, I suppose you look at the Surrey Academy these days and there is just a convey about players coming through. But back then, thinking about it, you know, you, you had the sort of Jay Dernbach coming through, Tim Murta was coming through then. But as I say, if you've got a side like that, that they, they are massive boots to fill. They really are. And, and I think probably for for that period of time, as I say, there were there were players getting to the end of their careers and understandably they probably just took their foot off the gas a bit. And then you had younger players who were sort of coming into a first eleven, but hadn't played a huge amount of first-class cricket and, and were sort of having to learn on the job, really. So I, I think what it was was a, a period of rebuilding at a time where the Surrey Academy was establishing itself and the players that were coming in, as I say, were, were coming straight into a first eleven and playing first-class cricket without having the experience of learning what what first-class cricket was about. And, and the other thing with that is if you're coming off the back of a period of huge success, people expect that success to continue. And as soon as it doesn't, then the pressure really ramps up. You know, if you've got a ramp cash in your team, you know, you're, you're guaranteed runs, but it's who else is scoring runs at the other end. And there was never really a settled settled eleven. I just think it was it was that period of rebuilding. Steve Rickson had some brilliant ideas and he was very ahead of his time. But as I say, for him, he probably took over at a time where, as I say, a lot of those really good players were getting to the back end of their careers. And then it was who was going to come in and take over from them. So it was it was a tricky period. And, and also, as I say, if you've got a side that's winning all the time and then they suddenly stop winning... Everybody sort of stares down the barrel of the gun at you. The thing with that, though, is, of course, remember that they were, you know, they were doing very well in the 2020. They won the first year of 2020 and 2003, got to finals day in 2004, I think got to finals day in 2005. They were going very well in the 2020, but I think that was because all the pressure was on. I think once the pressure came back on and those players weren't there and 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 the younger players were coming in and trying to learn their trade, I, I think that's where it came into into really sharp focus and it, it took a it took a long time for Surrey to get it right it took an awfully long time for for Surrey to get it right and as we've seen over the last well obviously this season and last season and 2018 they've got it right but it's taken an awful lot of time and an awful lot of hard work to get to that point 2014 seemed like a crucial year for the change in Surrey Alex Stewart was appointed director of cricket Graham Ford was brought in as the head coach and they've both spoken about it or Alec in particular that they just wanted to change the feeling in the dressing room and take it back to that elite level style that they had in the early 2000s when Stuart was still playing. How big an impact do you think Stuart had? And do you think that's the main reason for the success they still have now? Yeah, obviously Alec had a massive impact when he came in as director of cricket. But even now, G Ford will take some credit. He basically sat there and went, right, we're in Division 2. He took one season to look at them. And he, he he made a very, very strong and bold decision that I'm just going to play all the youngsters. I'm going to play the academy with one or two add-ins. 
the main ad in being Sangakara at some point, you know, it would only have been Graham Ford, I think, that would have been able to get Sangakara because their relationship was so close. I remember it vividly. It was, it was almost as if he said, right, we're going to play all the youngsters. And, and by this, I'm talking the likes of Ansari, Roy, Burns, Paranath, and it's going to hurt. And, and it, we hurt for a while. But the thing is, they will play a lot of their cricket together in Division 2. When we are ready and we do come up, this core group of youngsters will have played a lot of first-class cricket together. You then add in Sangakara and the rest is history. But the interesting thing to me is a lot of that group are still doing the business now. And, and you, look at, you look at Rory and... You know, Rory was a huge part of, of that era you're talking about under Graham Ford, but he got fully backed by Graham Ford. And I think now Rory's such a good captain because he understands he understands the way it works. Sorry, I've gone through a period, I think, of sort of just going out and buying people and it just didn't work. You know, you can go and buy the greatest players in the world, but if you haven't got anyone around them, they can't do all the work for you. And sorry, we're incredibly lucky. And all these overseas players were amazing and bought into Surrey. And, you know, Ponting, you know, the Graham Smith, not experiment, but what they wanted to happen, sadly, due to injury, didn't work. But even in the time he was there, he made a huge impact because he was Graham Smith. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think Alec came in and went, we're going to be sorry again. And the thing with Alec is... When Alex says something, you tend to sit up and, and listen. And also the other amazing thing with Alec is, and when we're talking about the overseas side of things, if your phone goes and it's Alex Stewart, it doesn't matter who you are as a player, you listen, they're never going to turn him down. Graham Ford was a brilliant one-to-one coach, but he was also a brilliant coach with the younger players as well. And, you know, he it was Graham Ford that just threw Tom Curran in and then all of a sudden threw Sam Curran in. And, and they were suddenly playing first-team cricket. And it was literally like they played for 20 years. And I think now that period without winning anything, obviously they got promoted, but they didn't, didn't win anything. That sort of foundation was laid, which Vikram then took on. Well, obviously Michael Devenito took on. We can talk about him in a minute. Uh, then Vikram took it, took it on. And now obviously Gareth, having been part of that era with Graham Ford. And that, that's another interesting point. You know, Gareth was the experienced pro in there. And obviously now as head coach, he gets how it, how you have to operate with players. So, but no, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I think Graham Ford to me was a massive influence. And even now, what he did with Alec, you're seeing the rewards of that over the last five years. It's just really impressive what Graham Ford and Alex Stewart managed to do. From October 2003 until October 2016, there were no English test debutants from Surrey, which seems crazy to think about that the second most successful county in English cricket hadn't been able to supply any players to England. Since then, however, there have been so many. I mean, I think there were eight or nine debutants in the space of about a year or two around 2018. Um, how much do you think Alex Stewart and the setup had to do with this unbelievable Surrey Academy that's coming through now? As I said to you right at the start of this, I think it was establishing itself. And then they had the hugely talented group of players that came in together. I think the reason there weren't any England debutants was those players were basically trying to establish themselves in domestic cricket before anybody even thought about England. 
people tend to forget this, but Jay Durback was playing for England in one day cricket. And Stuart Meek had got some games of one day cricket as well. I think from an academy point of view, all of a sudden they, they have players that they could point at and say, you can get to that point as well. Whereas beforehand, those players were just trying basically to establish themselves in the Surrey side. And then you got your talents like Sam and, and Tom. And, you know, the one I remember is Ollie Clope, obviously. Because I'll be honest with you, Toby, I'd heard about him. And a couple of people have mentioned this lad, Ollie Pope, in the academy. But he, he wasn't wasn't scoring thousands and thousands and thousands of runs. And I, I just remember there was a televised game and he was playing for the England under-19s at Canterbury. And he didn't get 100. I think he got 90-odd. And I, I think probably the coaching staff who was sat there watching that, and that, that was Michael De Benito, basically. He just saw him and thought, this, this lad is way ahead of his years. The way he bats is way ahead of his years. And, and the following week, they played him in the semi-final up at Headingley. He batted six or seven, got 20-odd at the back end and, and really never looked back. I just remember that, that extraordinary period in 2018 where all of a sudden Ollie was making his test debut, Sam was playing as well, and all these Surrey names were getting mentioned. And, and actually, you're, you're right, there was that period where in, te- in terms of test match cricket, really, there was nobody anywhere near. And then obviously Rory got his, his go, Tom played in the Ashes, we're seeing Gus now, obviously, he's just got a central contract. You know, I think you're right. But I think the thing was that at that time that we're talking about, that they were all just trying to establish themselves in the Surrey side. And there was no talk of <laughs> there was no talk of international cricket. That period, you said they didn't. And then all of a sudden they did. I, I just think it was those players establishing themselves in domestic cricket. And then... It's no great surprise, really, if you think about it, that, you know, Ollie, Sam and Rory all made their test debuts in 2018. And, and funny enough, sorry, won the championship that year. If you're scoring runs or taking wickets in Division One and winning the championship, England, England take note. And the other thing you've got, and you, you hit the nail on the head there, you've got a certain A. Stewart. I remember when B. Folks turned up at Surrey and A. Stewart within... Probably two days of him arriving, told the world this is the best wicketkeeper in the world, and everybody's eyebrows went through the roof. If Alex Stewart says that, people sit up and take note. So, yeah, and I think there'll be a lot more. You look at this Surrey team now; that not many of them are going anywhere for a while. That you know, and, and there is a, a group coming through who, when they do decide that's it, they'll just step straight in. But it takes an awful lot of work. You can't just do this overnight. You can't sort of right. We're going to change everything. And uh, we've seen the way that Surrey do it, and we'll do it that way. It takes a, a lot of hard work, and it takes a lot of patience, and it takes takes the balls to do it as well. It takes the balls to say to yourselves, in this wonderful world that we live in now where everyone wants instant success, it takes the balls to sit there and go, this is going to hurt for a couple of years, but after those two years, we'll have what we want. Four years after... Stuart and Graham Ford came in and the changes happened. Surrey then went on to win the county championship under Michael Divanuto. They lost only one game during the season and won very convincingly in the end. It all finally paid off. What was the feeling like around the club at the time and did Stuart know it was coming? Yeah, I think it was just one of job well done and satisfaction. And I, I think Michael Divanuto was sort of the last piece in that jigsaw. He kept things very simple. He was straight talking. They got the players they wanted. 
and, and we, you know, we're talking about the add-ins here. So you had your your core group, and then your Borthwick, your Stomans, your Folkses came in. Getting Morkel was an absolute stroke of genius. I don't think Morley would have gone anywhere else but Surrey. You know, I know for a fact that Surrey were working on him <laughs> before he'd even retired from international cricket, saying, if you ever think about county cricket, we'd love you to be here. I think probably the one question mark over it was when Sangakara decided enough was enough and that was it. Who was scoring Sangakara's runs? But as it was, that if you look back at that 2018 season, everybody scored runs. You know, everybody was scoring hundreds. And and one other missing piece to that jigsaw was Ricky Clark. Without a shadow of a doubt. He he was he was that 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 missing piece of the jigsaw that they needed at that point. He obviously had come back to Surrey. He was always wanting to come back to Surrey, but he provided them with the control with the ball and it score his runs with the bat, batting it. You know, Ricky Clark coming in at eight was frankly a bit ridiculous. And I think what you saw there was a very settled team who'd had a year under De Benito, knew the way he operated. And they were outstanding that season, absolutely outstanding this season. And, and as I say, it's no great surprise that Sam, Rory, Ollie were getting England call up. Mark Stoneman as well, of course. He, he got he, he got his England call up as well. So they were just a very good side. Again, I'll go back to what I said. The foundations were laid by Ford, and then Divinito added that little something. And then getting Ricky Clark back was a stroke of genius again. He wanted to come back, obviously. They didn't want to lose Dom Sibley, but actually it worked out perfectly for everybody because then Dom was making his England debut. And by the time they hit 2018, they had a very settled team and they knew exactly how they wanted to play their cricket. And and they were an outstanding team. But then you saw what happened when 2019, they completely fell off what they were doing then. And I think that's why going back to back now has been so impressive. I think they learned an awful lot from having that outstanding season in 2018 and then nothing happened in 2019. And then, of course, we went went into COVID. So, but yeah, Divinito, he inherited a very good bunch. He added a couple of things in there and the way he went about it, it was not a huge surprise. You could see it coming. You could see it. But then they played outstanding cricket as well. They were outstanding in 2018, outstanding. So. As you mentioned there, 2019 and even 2020 and 2021, were not up to the same standard as that 2018 side. A lot of the big problems, I think anyway, were that so many of the Surrey players then got selected for England. They were basically ripped apart from the inside. Toby, I'll give you one crucial name there, and that's Rory Burns. Rory would still like to be opening for England now, but I think the fact was that their captain wasn't around for all of that. I don't think it's any surprise that 2018... 2022, 2023, Rory's played every single championship game for Surrey. And I don't think it's any surprise that Surrey won the championship all three years, that Rory has been there for the whole summer, has been in charge and has been the captain. I think Surrey missed his leadership hugely. And then, as as you're saying, you sort of added that Sam's away, Ollie's away, Tom was away. But I think Burns was the key. He is an exceptional captain. It doesn't say a lot. You know, he's, he's not a big shouter or screamer. He doesn't say a huge amount. But he has the complete and utter respect to that dressing room. And 
even though he's had a quiet summer with the bat this summer, again, his influence on that team is huge. And and as I say, I, you're, you've hit the nail on the head there. You lose players to England, who's coming in? But I also think it's no surprise that when Rory was there for the whole of 2018, whole of 2022, whole of 2023, they've won the championship each year. And I think that's just that he is an exceptional cricket captain now. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, he'd still like to be banging out runs for England. But I think he probably knows that that time's gone. And now he's just very settled in what he's doing at Surrey. Do you think that if he'd been around at that period, Surrey's fall-off would have been far less stark? Yeah, I think, I, look, I'm not saying they'd have won the championship again in 2019. I think they wouldn't have had as tough a season as they did. And then, of course, the other thing to remember is COVID. That's when everything changed. But again, even during the COVID period, when, when Surrey did get back playing, Rory was away with England, locked in a bubble playing playing for England. So, look, I'm not saying had Rory been around that, that Surrey would have won the championship in 2019 and, you know, gone better during, during the COVID period. But uh, the flip side of that is when he did finally get his England call up, it was an amazing thing because... You know, he, he'd never even been, until 2018, he'd never had any England representation at all. I'm talking under-19s, anything. And then, because um, he banged out so many runs, they picked him for the England Lions and he captained the England Lions at New Road. And I think they then saw, we've got a bloke here who is a very solid, solid individual. And then, of course, he made a test debut in, in Sri Lanka with, with Ben, of course, I think if you look at it, it's absolutely no surprise that the three years that Rory has been there for the whole season, that Surrey have won the championship. Since then, Surrey have won two and two, as we all know, and have won both fairly convincingly. They obviously have the same kind of spine through the team, Rory Burns, that you've already mentioned, and a lot of the England guys who play in the early season. But they've not fallen into the same traps of the early 2000s, where they're just playing these major England players. And they've really managed to develop through some of the young players, Tom Laws, Gus Atkinson, Jamie Smith, just to name a few. How important do you think that's been for this Surrey side to keep innovating and keep changing and keep bringing in the young guys? At the start of this season, they said that they weren't going out to defend the title. They were going out to win it outright again because they said that was a different mindset completely. I think obviously this year they had a very settled side. I would say this season and last season, the five-man quick attack that they've got into any game with is the best I've seen because they are utterly relentless and there is no break from them. You, you cannot get away from any of them. Worrell is outstanding. I, I knew he was a good bowler, but I didn't realise what his skill set was like. Kemar has just fitted in perfectly at Surrey. The name I, I would mention in this point with Surrey in the last two years is Jordan Clark. I always blather on on the radio about if you gave me a blank piece of paper and asked me to write my Surrey 11, obviously Burns would be the first name and then it's Jordan Clark every time because Jordan Clark provides that balance. You look at his stats again this season, he holds that whole thing together, basically. And then you mention the likes of Tom and Gus, Overton, and, and the wonderful thing about Surrey, especially with the bowlers this season, is Kemar is an outstanding bowler. And when he went back to the West Indies, loads of people were saying, oh, my God, will Surrey still be able to take the wickets without Kemar? And the first game back, Jordan Clark took the new ball and he picked up a fiver. And I'll be brutally honest, he didn't even realise Kemar wasn't there. That was how seamless that transition was. 
They've always found someone to score the runs. But I think this season, what the key thing has been is really it's been the bowlers with the batters at times doing spectacular things. You know, everybody will remember the chase of 501 at Canterbury. But it was the bowlers that got Surrey back into that game. It was the, the, the bowlers that gave Surrey a sniff. And then with the talent that Surrey have got in that batting lineup, that he, someone's always going to come on. The, the only time it didn't really happen, and it, it was fascinating really, is that everybody was saying, oh, are Surrey going to blow it at the back end of the season? It wasn't that Surrey were playing bad cricket. It's just that Essex were exceptional. Essex put a run together that was exceptional. And in, in uh, some of the last couple of games of the season, Surrey was slightly off the pace, but they still managed to get out I know they lost against Hampshire, but they were in the game. And obviously, they won the championship in that one. Against North Ants, they were off the pace, but got out with a draw. What was happening, though, was Essex were putting a run together that was outstanding. But I never had any doubts that Surrey would win the championship. I, 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 I said before a ball had been bowled this season, if Surrey play to their potential, they will win the championship this season. That's exactly what they've done. And they all know their roles. They all know their jobs. But what's been fascinating this season for me is, as I say, that five-ball pace attack, whoever it is, is horrific. You know, for the opposition, it's horrific because you never get away from it. There is no getting away from you know, If you've got Warren and Roach opening up, they'll do their job at the top. And then suddenly you've got Clark and Overton coming in. Then you've got Laws coming in or Atkinson coming in to have a go at you. And as I say, well, how do you get away from that you, you get no let up at all as a batting side so and they're all going to be around next year as well you know that's the thing it's not going to change some of them will be off Gus will be off playing for England obviously but you know Warrell's still there I'm pretty sure if Kemar wants in Kemar will be back there's no doubt whatsoever Jamie's very very hungry we all know what Tom Laws can do so they're all back so you know next year it'll be the same bowling attack and, and, you know, the, the wonderful thing as well is, sorry, is if they come across a pitch that turns, there's Will Jacks. We saw that in that last game against Hampshire. You know, the, the pitch turned and he picked up a viper. So they balance, they balance out. I think probably the one thing they would look at, even though I've said, you know, they someone always turned up with runs for them. There's a, a couple in there that would want to be a bit more consistent with that run scoring. But as I say, the, the core of what they've done, and they've added Dan Lawrence in there as well, the core of what they got is exactly the same next season. You mentioned that everyone knows exactly what their roles are in the sides, and I think that's absolutely crucial. I think one of the main problems with that England ODI side at the World Cup was that no one really seemed to know what their role was. They kept changing the side, changing up the batting order. If they wanted to play lots of all-rounders, no all-rounders, it just kept changing, really. Whereas looking at Surrey over the last two years in particular, even if it's not exactly the same eleven that they've played, it's the same style of eleven that plays every single week. As you mentioned, the five-seamers that consistently play, they bat very deep always. They've got Will Jacks or, or a like-for-like replacement with Cam Steele um, to bowl spin. They, they have defined roles and everyone knows exactly what's going on. I think that's where Gareth Batty's been outstanding in in terms of the championship. Is he basically gave everybody their job. If you'd said before the start of the 2022 season that Will Jacks would be your number one off spinner and would be coming in at seven, you'd have been along the lines of really? Because we knew he could bowl 
spin. We knew he could bowl off spin, but we always were looking at him really, I think, as sort of someone that would bat you in the top four and, and might bowl you a few tidy overs of off spin. But no, Gareth straight away said to him, this is your job. It simplified it for him. And, and you know, you can see what Will's doing now. And I think, you know, that Surrey always knew that they'd score runs. The key thing was taking 20 wickets. Uh, I think that was the key thing. But Gareth's done a remarkable job, really. Vikram sort of laid the foundations before he very understandably went off to do the job in the IPL because you were never turning that, that gig down. But I don't think it was even on Gareth's radar. It's very interesting to think he's been in charge now and one of those years was interim. He's been in charge for two years and they've won the championship twice. And, and what he's also done, I think, is with his coaching staff, he's kept that, that knowing about Surrey in there. With the add-in of Jim Troughton, who he's he's a brilliant batting coach. He's been there, seen it, done it, got the teacher, lovely bloke as well. And then you've got Azzy, you've got Jade. You know, he, he's kept that that cool group of knowing what Surrey's about. Um, but he's kept it simple. He's kept it very, very simple. I think the one area they would look at is, and you talk about the England with the ODI side. I'd say it was a little bit like that with Surrey with the T20 this year. I don't know if everybody knew exactly what their job was. And I think on paper, the team was utterly ridiculous. But did it balance out? I'm not sure it really did balance. And it was fantastic to watch when it came up. But when it didn't, it could be spectacularly, not bad, but it could go spectacularly wrong. I think that would be one thing that they will look at next season is... In terms of championship, they know what they're doing. I think in terms of 2020, they'll look at another way of going about it. And, and I think it's what you just said with England then. Did everybody know exactly what their role was in that, that Team 20 side? And I think that would be something that they're, you know, they're very, very keen on pushing for, for the 2020 title. Surrey will obviously be looking forward to keep winning these county titles and keeping the run going on as long as possible. What do you think is their biggest challenge of the upcoming seasons? Sticking to the standards that they've already set. But I've no doubt that they will because they've got the people in that gesture room that set the standards. In terms of championship, they'll be there or thereabouts next year. I'm absolutely sure of that. But as I said to you, in terms of 2020, I think that'll be a real bugbear with them. Um, and I think they'll want to, you know, they did, they got to finals day this year, but they completely blew up in that run chase in the semi. Um, so I'm sure that'll be something they're looking at. But in terms of the championship, I think, you know, for the next couple of years, they've got that core group. I think their challenge as well is there are those players coming through. It, it's keeping those players not happy, but giving them opportunities, thinking of the likes of Ben Geddes, etc. Opportunities in first-class cricket, but that's a difficult balancing act to get right when you're trying to push for a championship. Yeah, I, I, I think actually in terms of championship, it's not a lot to change, really. They've got their formula and it works and they've got their players. But I think the 2020 will be the one thing they really will concentrate on next season. Do you think they'll be able to balance the two fairly well? Yeah, I, I think so, because they're two separate competitions where the Surrey squad is, is very strong. It's the fact that actually a lot of the championship side also play 2020, but they are two totally separate entities now. Um, and it's two totally different squads that are playing 
championship in 2020, whereas obviously a few years ago, it's the same thing for playing championship that we're going in and playing 2020. Now, because of franchise cricket, you've got all your specialists that come in and, and you know, the captain himself, you know, Chris Jordan, all he plays is 2020, that's all he plays. They've got the players there. It's the way they use those players to win a 2020 and I think that's something that they'll be be looking at over the winter to get it right for next year. One other major factor for Surrey that's helped them through is that they're probably the wealthiest country within the game and that obviously means they can sign major players like Dom Sibley, Dan Lawrence most recently. However, they've also, I've always thought, been really canny with their signings, both overseas and also a lot of journeymen they've signed throughout. You mentioned Jordan Clark already. Jamie Overton wasn't really getting that much of a gig or doing that well at Somerset before. Um, and they brought him in and he's been stellar since. Cam Steele as well has come in and slotted straight into the side whenever they've needed him to and always performed. How important do you think Surrey signings of maybe not the top tier, but also the guys who'll just be around the whole year? I'll go back to what I said before, that there was a period where Surrey threw money. There was a period where they were just bringing in players and hope that a team came out. That, that, that isn't the case now. And, and, and you look at it, you know, Jordan's been there, what now, five years? Ben, Ben's been there five years. You mentioned Cameron there. He's an outstanding cricketer. And, and I think there were probably a few eyebrows that were raised when Surrey signed Cameron Steele, but they knew exactly what they were up to. They knew they had a bloke there that when they needed him, he would turn up and do what he does. And actually, again, I'll go back to what I said before. When you sort of run through the squad, most of them come through the academy and through the development programme at Surrey. And then you add in a couple, which Surrey can do, you know, and that's the other thing I would say. Yeah, everyone talks about the money and all that good stuff, but also you can have all the money in the world. But if if a player also knows they're coming to a club that works cricket-wise with coaches that they want to work with, you're far more likely to get those players coming to you. And I think that's, again, with, with Alec and then with Gareth now, that, that that is what they can explain. And Dan Lawrence is a fascinating signing. You know, Dan is a fascinating signing. Dan's not guaranteed a place team in the Champions. He knows that. But he needs a new challenge. He wants to play for England. And the proof's in the pudding. You and I have spoken about it. Where's the one place if they offer you a gig which is going to do your test chances no, no end of good, it's Surrey. They did go through a period of bunging money, left, right and centre, but I think if they are going to bung their money now, it's done very, very, very tactically. They do it very, very well. They really do. They really do. And it looks very likely that Surrey might continue this dominance over the next few years. But thank you, Mark, so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great having you and hearing all of your insights. Thank you, Toby. And, and I've really enjoyed that. It's been very nice reminiscing with you, my friend. And now on to the interview with former managing director, Charlie Hodgson. Charlie, Surrey have won three of the last five county championships and have really been the most dominant side within the game for those few years. What do you think is the biggest reason that Surrey's success has come about? I mean, there's a whole host of reasons that were put in place a long time ago. There was probably a bit of a culture change at that stage. There was also definitely a business change in terms of growing the commercials so that there wasn't any lack of resource there. In recent years, you know, they make a lot more money than the other counties. That said, there is still a salary cap, so you can't necessarily win things by money alone. Fundamentally, in the last few years, they've had a really good core group of homegrown players that have come through and are playing pretty regularly and have managed to top it up with really good signings externally. 
it seems like from afar now, when I look at it, pretty much any player that comes through and comes into the team immediately is kind of scoring runs or taking wickets. You know, whether that's Tom Laws or Gus Atkinson or Will Jacks, all these guys, they come in very quickly and settle in. And they've, and they've got a core group of older players who are, who are there churning out runs and taking wickets week, week in, week out. Absolutely. You mentioned a culture change. I assume that all came about in 2014 where Surrey really started to rebuild. Alex Stewart came in as director of cricket. Graham Ford was appointed head coach. And the year after, in 2015, they won promotion back to Division 1. Do you think that that was absolutely crucial to Surrey? And what did Alec and Graham and all the other coaches bring around that time? I think so. We, we, and before then, we were, we were in a little bit of a muddle, I think, about whether we were trying to develop players, trying to buy players in. I mean, ultimately, there was a bit more of a focus on homegrown talent you know, which takes a bit of time, come through, and it's not an exact science, but there was a, there was definitely more of a focus at board level in terms of we want at least half our first team to be homegrown, which we hadn't really had before. So so that was definitely different. And then a focus on developing players as people and as players and kind of creating this kind of Surrey way. And there's certainly now a culture to really invest in the very best talent that's coming through, making sure that they get better and then ultimately go on to play for England. There's, there's, always a, there's always a challenge in county cricket between are you trying to develop players for England or are you trying to win stuff? And actually in the past, those two things have clashed a little bit. I actually feel like in the last few seasons they've clashed less because of the way the schedule's been laid out. And a lot of the county cricket is used almost as a warm-up to the first test. So the England players are around a bit more early season, not exclusively because some go off and play in the IPL. So I think that probably helped us to a certain extent as well. From October 2003 to October 2016, Surrey had no English test debutants. However, since then, there's been a multitude. Rory Burns, the club captain, Ollie Pope, one of the youngest players to play for England for a long time, as well as many more. Do you think the selection of so many of Surrey's players has helped the development of these youngsters and continued the growth of the club? You mentioned the change in the schedule that has definitely helped. But for a long time, as you mentioned, there wasn't much ability to grow young England players and perform at the same time. But Surrey has managed to do this seamlessly over the last 10 years. A really high-performing culture is one that is investing in, investing in the growth of its people. Uh, I, I just think we weren't, we weren't doing it in, in the right way before then. We may, in some instances, maybe we didn't have the right people. At stages, English cricket has got itself into a place where if, you, if you're a county and you really grow the players and get them to play for England, then you just lose them. It feels like that's changed a little bit in the last few years. The one thing that I think has really affected it was that we won in 18 with a really, really good group of young players coming through. You know, that was, and none of them at that stage really played for England. We had the kind of, but Rory Burns was captain, Ollie Pope was coming through, we had the Currens. Uh, Amar Verdi, I think, played quite a lot that year. And they were all kind of on the rise and they were all developing and they were highly motivated and around the whole time. And then a lot of them got in the England setup and we didn't see so much of them for a bit. And we struggled to sort of keep up progress. And then COVID happened, so that, that had a bit of a knock. And then what happened after COVID, I think, I think one of the key things that happened was that Rory didn't have a great ashes and, and ended up coming back to the county scene. And then you've got a captain who's there living and breathing it. Credit to him. Like, you know, he's just taking it on to win Surrey Championships, you know, because some people can come back from England and be a bit desolate about the fact that, you know, their international career's taken a, a downward turn and, and go a bit kind of insular. He's obviously just 
team up. And, and I think it's absolutely crucial when you have, you have a captain there the whole time. I think it's part of the issue we had in the years between 18 and 21, 22 was because, you know, we didn't have the settled side because we had players going up, bringing and coming back, including the captain. I think that's been played a big part of it in the last couple of years. Do you think then if Rory Burns had still been around the Surrey team for 2019 and over COVID, Surrey might have had a better couple of years? That was my argument. I, I went back through the last 20 years of championship winning teams and looked at their captains. And this was a while ago. But from memory, every single one had a settled captain. All the way back to all the way back to kind of Surrey's heyday in the early 2000s when Adam was captain. He wasn't the stellar player in that team because they had Stewie and Thorpe and Butch and all these people. But Adam was the captain and he was a very strong captain and he was there the whole time. If you're in and out of the England team, when you come back to play for Surrey, are you really living and breathing and sleeping and dreaming about winning games for Surrey? Or are you thinking about, I need to score 100 to get back in the England team or take five wickets? I think it's really important for the, for the team as a whole. One other thing that you've mentioned is the recruitment. Not only does Surrey have a great academy that's come through, but they've also managed to recruit a lot of county journeymen. I mean, you look at Cam Steele or Jordan Clark, even Jamie Overton, who's debuted for England since. But they're all signed quite a long way off playing for England, and actually purposefully so. Do you think the way that Surrey have prepared their squads and been quite savvy with their signings has really helped? Yes, definitely. And this, I mean, Alex Stewart is the best at this. He is meticulous at it. To be honest, in the early years, it was as much as you could plan, things would happen that mean that people would either go off and play for England or people would get injured or something would happen with the schedule that meant that all the planning, you know, wasn't necessarily coming to fruition. Remember, this was a time when the 100 was starting. So a lot of his kind of thought was like, Who's, who, who am I going to have left? And that you can't really control because someone has a good county season, suddenly they get a 100 contract and have disappeared for six weeks or whatever. He's very, very planned. He has a world-class black book. Like, he knows everyone in cricket. To the extent where I remember we had a championship game down at Hampshire and Carl Jameson was our overseas player. And he pulled a hammy, I think it was, first morning of the day, fielding at square leg. That was a bit of a shocker for us. But by the time I'd left the ground, mid-afternoon, he'd already got Ashwin to come and play. If it wasn't the next game, it was like in two or three games' time, of championship cricket. It was like his black book is second to none that's not a bad replacement for Carl Jameson is it during your time at Surrey Charlie you were the commercial director for almost 10 years and during that you oversaw a 50% increase in membership in just five years the total is now over 18,000 and will likely continue to rise in my opinion the Surrey membership structure seems significantly better than pretty much every other county what was your main aim at the time and how did you achieve it well the first thing was it was a kind of cultural shift you know, I think we had a we had about seven or eight thousand members when we started, and the whole brand around the place, the feel of the place, was all about international cricket. You know, it was all about those days, the Brit Oval, and it started in probably 2011 when both Richard Thompson and Richard Gould came in, and there was a change of kind of feel. The chairman had this word surification that he used to bang on about, and that was largely just making it feel like a club again, not a venue which in part was just sticking Surrey logos everywhere, but it was also investing in past players and celebrating our history and getting that whole heritage out. You know, because members want to feel a part of something. They don't want a cheaper way of coming to the test match. You know, that that's part of being a member is like you're kind of bulk buying tickets and 
you know, getting access to the ground, but it's mo- way more than that. They want to feel part of something bigger. So that, that changed. And then we actually changed the membership structure at that stage, which was unpopular for a year, but was the right thing to do, uh, whereby we had international members and county members in those days. The international members were basically the amount of seats in the pavilion. If you knew the right people, you'd get a seat in the pavilion. If you didn't, then you're a county member. So we kind of changed all that to what the structure is now. And then it was just about a kind of relentless focus on the customer in terms of the way we marketed to them through, you know, knowing about them, their data and health and they came and what we're just trying to drive them up pyramid structure. So if you're a championship member, we were trying to make you a county member. If you're a county member, we're trying to make you a Surrey and England member. So you're right, they should, as long as they've got space, they should, they should be able to keep growing. I mean, with the new stand, I'm sure they'll be able to keep increasing. About a third of all county members in England are Surrey members, a crazy fact in itself. But what advice would you give to other counties to try to increase their membership as well as Surrey have? You've got to love your members. Your members own the club. You can get into a really negative mindset. Our members, you know, they just cause cause headaches or are complaining or they're the people that come to members forums and give you grief and all this sort of stuff. But the reality is they are the club. And until you, until you make that mind mindset shift, it's really difficult to grow the membership because they want to feel part of somewhere and they don't feel part of somewhere if the club that they want to be a part of at arm's length from them. So I think there's a huge amount across England. There's a huge amount of kind of latent interest in county cricket and you've just got to drag, drag it out. We would know exactly where the ticket buyers were coming from and effectively your ticket buyers are your next members. This is why, why it was so strong because Membership was growing, but also so was our T20 sales, so was our international sales, which, were, to be fair, were always strong, but they just became more robust. And, you know, we'd sell out earlier at higher prices and stuff. That was largely a data piece where we just understood so much more about our customer. When they bought, how often they came, where they, you know, where they worked, what size group they come in. Can the market really personalised stuff? Our membership renewal is really personalised, you know, Hi, Toby. You know, hope you've enjoyed your first season as a student member. Do you know that you could upgrade to this or sit in this spot? These are the games we've got coming. You know, this is all your details down the right-hand side with price and how much an upgrade would be and all this sort of stuff, which was painstaking. But that kind of personalization was really important to membership. And then on the ticket front, we would go to the extent where we knew that half the people coming to a blast game would be coming in groups of six or more. At the same time, we'd be emailing them about the fixtures, you know, that they'd come to the previous year. Would they like to come again? And then we'd have people pick up the phone once they knew they'd open their emails and just say, look, you're interested, I can book you in now. It just becomes an ever-growing kind of snowball. And then and then you're just trying to convert them into members. And some won't. Some just want to watch online or check the scores every That's fine. But others see value in, I'm going to go to two or three T20 games. I might become a member. And then once they do that, then you've got them in and you're just trying to drive them up the pyramid if you like. The one other thing I'd say about um, uh, the membership is that we did have an advantage over everyone else because we had a, we had an agreement with the ECB that we'd have a test match every year from 2003 onwards for 25 years. That's crucial to the success of the business even even now because it's blooming difficult to build a strong membership if you only have a test every three out of every four years because it's quite difficult to structure a membership around that because you get to a year where everyone goes, well, I don't want to be a member now because I don't see the value or you've got to drop, suddenly drop your prices. We built the entire business really around having a staging agreement with the ECB. By the time it comes to an end, 
the Oval's built up such a reputation and sells generate so much money through its through its test match that it's never going to get taken anywhere else. The 100 has possibly also helped a little bit as well, particularly in diversifying the types of members at Surrey and at other county grounds as well. How has it affected Surrey specifically and, and the way that they do their membership? We were the only club in the 100 that said, well, sorry, it was us and Lords, which said that we would let members uh, get in for free as part of their membership. That is the kind of mentality that I'm talking about. You've got to love your members and not think, why should they get a free ticket? Well, the reason they should get a free ticket is because the 100 is not Surrey and was effectively coming into Surrey's ground in the middle of the summer, taking all its best players and wanting the venue for the best part of the summer. So if you're also going, and by the way, members, you're going to have to pay to get in to your venue, that didn't sit very well with us. And we knew that A, there'd be a backlash from the membership, and B, we wouldn't sell as many tickets because the membership is the absolute crucial function in the ticket sales process at Surrey. They sell most of the tickets. And so we didn't want to disenfranchise the members because they're the ones that are helping us sell tickets. So we thought it'd be, it would be more successful competition to let the members get in free, and I think it was. And then finally, from what was an inside perspective and is now an outside perspective, do you see Surrey continuing their dominance? And how easy will it be for them to keep playing the way they are and to keep growing as a club the way they are? Yeah, I mean, I think in the short term, that's the challenge for all sporting clubs, isn't it, when they start winning? I was reading something the other day, Alex Ferguson saying that he felt like four years was the kind of natural lifespan for a team and they had to kind of recreate it. And that would be the challenge for Stewie because there'd be a reasonable amount of players coming to... you know, the end of their career at the same time in a, in a few years' time. And he'll have to replace them. And he'll also have to be fortunate enough that the people that are replaced have the right balance of international pedigree and not international pedigree because you need the ones around the whole time. He's good at that, but he's probably got less control over, you know, who disappears and do they ever or rarely come back to Surrey. So it's a, it's a really, really difficult one to continually be successful to the extent they currently are. I'm pretty sure that for a long period of time they'll they'll be one of the stronger teams. Whether they'll you know win championships every year, I, I would think that that is a that's a big challenge. Yeah, thank you so much, Charlie, for coming on the podcast. It's been great hearing from you uh, on your insights from Surrey. Cheers, and thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you head over and follow us on social media. It's at Pitchside underscore Podcast on Instagram. Toby Reynolds 10 on TikTok and Toby underscore Reynolds 10 on Twitter. Uh, also head over to the Sports Gazette website to read loads of articles from all of the pundits and writers here at the Sports Gazette. And make sure you join us next time on the Pitchside Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.